Man. Well, who's excited to talk about Jesus? You guys better be excited. Man, I'm like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. Who brought their Bible? This is a test. Yes. Come on. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. Let me see it. Let me see it. We got paper Bibles. We got big Bibles, small Bibles, thick Bibles, thin Bibles. Some really small metal Bibles, too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Come on. I believe in this. I believe in getting all 900 translations of the Bible in the palm of your hand. <laughs> Just don't allow it to distract you, because I feel like what the Lord's going to do in this place is going to be really special. Um, let's pray, and we'll just get right into it. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you've done thus far this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to continue to do. May Jesus be magnified. Help me, Lord, to get out of the way so that, Holy Spirit, you can come and do what you desire to do. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray, amen. Awesome, y'all. Well, I'm just going to get started, and for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Pastor Phil and Nicole, they send their love. They are currently with our team that we have sent to New Mexico, to the Navajo Nation, to love on and serve that community out there. Uh, they left on Friday morning at 7 a.m., and they will be back this coming Saturday. Uh, their week is just getting started on Tuesday of this week. They're going to be doing a week-long VBS. And, I mean, they've got truckloads of stuff that they're just going to be giving out to people and just blessing that community. Um, because, man, what's been happening in those reservations sometimes can feel very self-contained, and not very many people know what's going on, unless you're specifically going and ministering to those people. So we've been discovering needs. And we thank the Lord that he has equipped us and given us the tools necessary to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus and fill those needs for people. So we're praying for them. We love them. And they sent me a text this morning just letting them know how thankful they are for what the Lord's going to do in this place. And boy, has he done something so far. Uh, well, we're just going to jump right into it. Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. Jesus is the most important thing that we could ever do. He's the most important person we could ever spend our time with. And uh, I read this quote the other day. It's by John Owen, who was a 17th century theologian, and he authored a book known as The Glory of Christ. And one of the lines that he said in this book was, if Christ be nothing to you now, he will not be hereafter. I'm going to say that again. If Christ be nothing to you now, he won't be hereafter. So many people are thinking to themselves, I need a better testimony. So I'm going to go the route that I feel I need to go. And then when I feel it's right, I will submit and give all to Jesus because I got time. Those days are dead and gone. Those days are dead and gone. We can't afford to live one second for our own desires, our own gratification, and what we think is good. Because that's the trap that the enemy wraps so many people into. They grow up in church. They have this moment where they think to themselves, I can go and live how I want to live, test the waters, see if it's as good as it looks. And then if it's not good, I'm just going to, I'll fall back on the Lord. The Lord's my fallback. He's my safety net. If I fall, he'll catch me. That is true. But if you test the Lord in that way, you may not get the chance to change your mind. And the Lord's bringing us to this place in this hour of selfless, relentless pursuit of Jesus. There's no room for us to run after anything else. 
There's no room for us to prioritize anything else. Our goal here is not to have a room full of people. Our goal here is not to walk away from a service where we worshiped and said, man, we worshiped for an hour. God did something special. The time limit doesn't determine that the Lord moved. The passion doesn't even determine that the Lord moved. What determines that the Lord moved was what I said at the beginning, when you felt him walk into the room and everything changed. Everything changed. Nothing was the same. And that's where the Lord is wanting us to come to, is to prioritize what he prioritizes. Our primary goal is to minister to the Lord. Our secondary goal is to minister to people. When we make people our primary goal, uh, ahead of Jesus, we will find that we're just as successful as how full the room is. How many people are here? That's success. But just as it says in scripture that if that is what you're running after, this is your reward. You've, you've, you've achieved your reward. This is as good as it gets. But if he is our reward, I don't even have to be up here speaking. I could drop the mic right now and the Lord comes in, does whatever he wants to do. And I am perfectly fine with that because I don't need you to make me feel good. Neither should you need me to make you feel good. How many people are going to church on Sunday mornings and they're dependent on the pastor to make them feel good about themselves? That puts way too much pressure on me. First of all, I don't even give in to that kind of pressure because I'm just like, if you walk, I'm, I mean, Vision, you guys know where I'm at with this. It's like, if you guys leave here and you don't get nothing from this, that's on you, <laughs> you know? And so it's don't pull on me to make you feel good. Sit down and expect what Jesus wants to do. Set your mind on Jesus. And that way, when you leave here, I pray you don't even remember our faces, but you remember the Lord was there. The Lord came and the Lord moved and I'll never be the same. So if Christ be nothing to you now, he won't be hereafter. We were made for the sole purpose of only beholding, adoring, exalting, and worshiping Jesus. When you're wondering, what is my call in life? The high call of the Christian life is loving Jesus. That is the high call of the Christian life. It's not building orphanages in foreign nations. It's not having a food bank. All of these things are secondary. Secondary to the primary call of what the Lord has called us to do. Because if you love Jesus and then you do what he tells you to do, guess what? You live like David. And David always came back to one. But if you prioritize the work above the person, then you're living like Saul. You're doing the work, but then you're finding yourself actually overstepping your boundaries, doing what the Lord never called you to do in the first place. And in essence, it'll cause you to lose what you thought you had. You'll lose more than you even had to start with. And so the Lord is calling us to this one thing, adore me, love me, exalt who I am. Is it because he's a tyrant and he wants nothing more but just to hear his name? No, it's because it's what we were made for. When the father created you, knows how you operate, everything he tells you to do is based upon how you were created to function. And if we think that that's shallow or there's got to be more, 
The Lord's never going to move beyond that until you get that nailed down. Until he's your everything, don't expect to get the next step. Because the Lord's like, I won't tell you the next step knowing it'll crush you unless you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because if you don't love me like that here, the next step will destroy you. Just know I love you guys. Just know I love everybody. I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> so I just want to talk just about the importance of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to sit in verse 1 through 5. And for those of you who know me, uh, I love the Gospel of John. I think the Gospel of John is such a beautiful, beautiful account of what Jesus did when he put on a body. When the one who is fully God, fully man, put on a body, and he came and he walked among people. He walked among us. Like, it's just mind-blowing to think about that. And don't get me wrong, I love Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're amazing books. But man, John's just hits differently. It really does. I mean, you got Mark over here. He doesn't pay any attention to baby Jesus. He's like, we're straight baptizing the boy. And then we're getting right into the, it, like Mark is known as like the action book of the Bible. It's straight up like stuff's exploding and Jesus is like pulling people out of fires. You know, that's, that's what you get in Mark. Matthew is like that deep theologian. He's sitting there and he's like got all of his diplomas laid out, all of his degrees laid out on the wall. And he's like, oh, Wow. He came from this, he came from this, he came from this. This was this baby daddy, this baby daddy, this baby daddy. You know, he's going through everybody. And then you got Luke who's sitting over here and he's also got his, his, his doctors, whatever you call it, I don't even know. But he's sitting there and he's like, wow, so he was crucified and so the nail went in here and it did that to his body. And he's like, you know, Jesus healed this man and this is what was going on, getting into all the ins and outs of medical history and everything like that. And then you've got John who's like, oh, I love him. And that's kind of why John like hits me a little bit different is because when you're crying out for just simply to love him, you find yourself gravitating towards those to where that's their same cry. And in John chapter one, verse one through five, John takes a different approach than any of the other gospels. He doesn't start writing about the prophecies of who Jesus is. He starts out, at the very beginning. You can read Genesis 1 and John 1 almost side by side. And he starts and he says, in the beginning. Now, if I asked you, what scripture am I quoting? You say Genesis 1, I'd say, nah, John 1. Read your Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. There are some instances that point to the fact of before time even began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all there beholding one another face to face. A beautiful, beautiful love between the one who is three in one. Beautiful. He was in the beginning with God. And this is the part that I want us to listen to right here. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I'm going to simplify it because I'm a simple person. Nothing has existence apart from Jesus. That's what John's saying. So I want you to think about this. The chair you're sitting in right now would not exist without Jesus. 
just bypass the, the organic beings for a second. Let's just go to the very fact of this building would not be standing here if Jesus was not who he said he is. Because think about this, the very smallest atom, atoms and, and molecules and all these different things, they all exist because of Jesus. He's the creator. And so when you look at that, if you deny Jesus, if you renounce Jesus, you're denying the existence of the floor you're standing on. I mean, that may not be much of a stretch for some people because some people have a hard time admitting a lot of things that just seem kind of duh. But it's because they need Jesus <laughs> and then it all makes sense. But nothing has existence apart from Jesus. So what does that tell me? If nothing has existence apart from him, then I don't exist without him. The breath I breathe is his breath breathed into me. We see that when God created Adam, it said that he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And boom, there he is. Everything that exists, exists because of Jesus. In verse four, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about that for a second. I'm gonna read it again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he's drawing a correlation here saying that in Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. We've heard it said that the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. Have you ever looked into someone's eyes and you could tell that something was wrong? Oh, yeah. Have you ever looked into someone's eyes and you were like, wow, they're totally cool? I mean, not the eyes, like the person, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever looked into someone's eyes and you saw darkness? Have you ever looked into someone's eyes and saw fire burning? The eye is the lamp of the body. It doesn't matter how well you try to hide it, you can see it here. And I believe that the Lord created us that way for a reason. Why? Because you are made in the image of God. John writes in Revelation and he says that he beheld Jesus and it said that he had eyes like fire. Eyes like fire. We see that in somebody. We're like, that's, pro that's a problem. <laughs> but you know what? The Lord's looking at us and he's saying, why aren't your eyes on fire? Why aren't your eyes on fire? And there's a scripture that I also want us to look at, and it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. If you've got your Bibles, let's go there. There's something that I say every time I teach, and it's this. Don't take my word for it. Whenever I ask you if you brought your Bibles to church, it's because we need to put our eyes on it. But if you're just taking my word for it, if I'm wrong, guess what? You're wrong. <laughs> but if I'm right, I mean you're right. But we need to believe this not because Pastor Ron said so. We need to believe it not because Zach said so or Pastor Phil. We believe it because it's in his word. He said it. He said it. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, in the King James Version, thanks, Masha, it says, the light of the body is the eye. So he's already laying it out for us. The light of the body is the eye. And therefore, if thine eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. 
If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Well, that doesn't really make much sense. If your eye is single, your whole body would be full of light. You would think it to say, if your eye is light, your whole body would be full of light. But no, it's if your eye is single. It's because we were created to look like the one who created us. Which means you are supposed to have eyes like fire, but it's not because I'm so religious. It's not because I got myself here. You know how your eyes are on fire is when you're looking at the one who burns like fire. Scripture points and it says about Jesus that he is clothed in unapproachable light. I mean, we just read there in John. It said, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So in Jesus is life and life is the light of men. So just track with me for a second. All right. If your eye is single, looking unto one, you can't look up and down at the same time. You have to look up. You have to look to the one who is burning. So you look at Jesus, and guess what? Your eyes are now on fire. There's another scripture in Revelation. I'm pretty sure it's Revelation. It may be somewhere else, but it literally says that the Lord makes his ministers winds or his servants wins, and his ministers a flaming fire. The picture that is being painted here, actually, I think it's in Isaiah. The picture that's being painted here is that the Lord, God Almighty, in heaven, his throne room, all right, just picture the throne room, this ginormous coliseum with myriads upon myriads of angels around the throne. God is burning so brightly that when the angels and the cherubim pass by him, it says that they are burned up like a moth in a flame. That the very presence of God sets them on fire because they are so close to the Lord, beholding who he is. And so if you're telling me that an angel gets burned up like that and I am greater than angels... I can behold him and burn at a level that I didn't even think was possible. So that way, when people look at you and they look into your eyes, and th this has happened sometimes where you go and you, you meet somebody, you spent time with Jesus, you've been in the secret place, you have be, been beholding the one who is light. Scripture talks, and it talks about those that live in darkness, that they run from the light because it will expose the dark things within them. But when you go out in public, and I've seen it happen sometimes, when you look at somebody, and guess what? They don't want to look at you in the eyes. Why? It's not because they're uncomfortable physically. It's because there's something in you that is not what they're used to. Because they know that when they look into your eyes, it's like... I'll say it this way. When your eyes are single and your body is full of light, you're full of Jesus, it's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. I just want to clarify that. But it's when you look at people, all of a sudden they become transparent. And it's transparent to the Holy Spirit. He reveals to you the things that he needs to so that they can experience freedom. The Lord won't reveal things like that just to show you people's junk. The Lord's not going to be like that. He's not going to be like, eh, so-and-so over there, man, they're just, they're really struggling with porn. 
you know, he's, the Lord's not talking bad about those that he desperately desires to come into the kingdom. But what the Lord does do is he reveals things to us so that when it is confronted, true repentance can take place. So now we're addressing things because when they look at us, the Lord immediately is like, they're, they're struggling with unforgiveness and I want to redeem them. The Lord never reveals things to us without redemption being the primary motivation behind it. He always reveals things so that his redemptive power of the cross would manifest in that individual's life. And now they're walking in freedom. That's what the Lord is needing us for. He needs us to behold him so that when you look at him, you catch on fire. Your eye is single. I don't look at anyone else. I just look at Jesus. It doesn't matter how, how passionate this group over here is saying, no, 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 look at this, look at this. I'm looking here. And what does that do? When you are in tough times, it doesn't sway you because you're looking here. You're looking here. And when you're looking there, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I'm manifesting Jesus. And, I, and it's not like I'm trying to manifest Jesus. It's the natural byproduct because I've been with him. And when I've been with him and I burn like him, I look like him, which means I act like him. He literally takes over. He puts you on like a glove every day. And this is what he's calling to. Because when you are full with the light of the Lord, guess what? When you're full of him, he is the resurrection and the the life. So the light in him was life and the life was the light of men. He who dwells in unapproachable light, when you behold him, you burn, you catch on fire. And what are you on fire with? You're on fire with him. And when you're on fire with him, you're not dying. You're truly living because Jesus has come alive on the inside of you. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm not like, you know, way out there or something. I mean, it wouldn't matter. If the Lord told me to say it, I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to give us an example of this real quick. All right? I'm, I'm not going to take up too much more time because I want to respect what the Lord wants to do. But in Genesis, can we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter three? I want us to take a look at what it looks like to have single vision and then what it looks like to have division, or vision that is divided. I'm not preaching. I didn't mean to preach on vision so much. I mean, it's like vision church, preaching on vision, this vision stuff. Look with, yeah. I didn't plan this. This is the Lord doing this. It's kind of funny. It's not kind of funny. It is. All right. So we're going to focus on Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve, oh, they get a bad rep. Adam and Eve get a terrible rep because we look at Adam and Eve and we're just thinking to ourselves like, oh, you were right there. You had so many different trees that you could have picked from, and you picked that one. And now here we all are having to wear clothes every day for the rest of our lives. This is awful. In the summertime, do you know what I have to go through? I can only strip down so much, bro. I can't do that. And in the wintertime, I got to put stuff on. Ugh. Who here prefers like summer over winter? Where, where are my people? Thank you. We're family. I just felt a connection. Did you guys just feel a bond? I just felt that. That was good. The rest of you, winter people? Winter people? All right, I just need to know who we need to pray for afterwards. That's awesome. 
Yes, Masha, you too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in Genesis chapter 3, creation has taken place. The Father has set in motion his plan, and he is looking at everything, and he says, it is good. He makes man, and he says, it is very good, because you and I are the only things that were ever created in his image, which is why when people don't love the Lord, when they don't know who he is or why you were made the way he fashioned you, you set out to change what the Lord did because you think whoever made you was wrong. This is a narrative that's being pushed around society today. You decide who you are. I'm sorry. When did you have the right to decide who you think you are based upon how you feel? The Lord bought you with his blood. And he didn't spill some of his blood. He spilled every last drop. And so when society is telling you how you feel is how you are, or how you feel is clearly how you're designed, that's not the Lord. The Lord gave us emotions. He gave us feelings. Why? Because he feels. Because he weeps. He cries. He laughs. He has joy. But his heart can be broken. We miss that side of God. So many people look at God and they think that he's a, he's a, a stone-faced tyrant that just does things because he wants to. And honestly, to a certain degree, it's like, Lord, if you want to, go for it. I'm all for it. But it's you're not called to only see him as God. It's important. But you're also called to see him as father, as daddy God, as the one who makes decisions, not because he thinks it's best for you, but because he knows it's best for you. This is what he's calling us to. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we have an example here of Adam and Eve, the first humans on the face of the planet, and they make a decision that they feel is best for them instead of what the Lord knows what's best for them. And it's in Genesis chapter 3. Let's just read this. Where do I want to start? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll preface it and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to where we're going right here. Masha, I'm going to be in verse 6. But anyways, what's taking place up to this point, Adam and Eve, they're walking through the garden. The enemy, Satan, finds his way into the garden, takes on the image of a snake, and is set out with one goal, and it is to corrupt the most powerful being that the Father had ever created, which was man. We were created to be the most powerful beings walking the earth outside of the Father. That's what we were created for. We were created and we were given dominion over all things. And the enemy knew that he can't take that authority from you. But if he can get you to lay it down willingly, then he's got you. He doesn't have that power over you. If he can get you to lay it down willingly, he's got you. And this is where we find Adam and Eve in here. So the first thing the enemy does is he starts questioning the motives and the character of God. So how do I know if it's the Lord's voice or the enemy's voice? Is the voice you're hearing in your head questioning what the Lord has already told you to do? 
Is it questioning the motives of God? Is it trying to sound like God, twisting it? This is why we need to know the scriptures is because the enemy knows the scriptures and he knows how to twist them. And if you don't know the scriptures, you may hear something and be like, wow, well, that's the word. So that's gotta be God. But no, Jesus didn't say that when Satan showed up and he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Satan spit in scripture and Jesus wasn't like, huh, are you serious, bro? You're like quoting scripture. How are you doing that? Like, no, Jesus said, it is written. The one who was the word spoke the word because he is the word and he created us to know him. And how do you know the Lord? Through the reading of his word. All right. I'm, that's so much. It's so good. Um, so anyways, the enemy is tempting Adam and Eve, perverting God's character in their eyes, questioning what the Lord has already spoken. Adam and Eve are slowly starting to compromise in their thinking. Eve is primarily. Adam, he's just being a terrible husband. And so in verse six of chapter three, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, doesn't that sound like all of us before we got saved? <laughs> like you saw something, you're like, that looks good to my eyes. I want it. And I will do whatever it takes to get it. Yeah, I know we all... <laughs> We used to talk like that too. It's kind of, it's so cheesy. It doesn't even sound good, you know. So anyways, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some, of her some to her husband, Dumbo, who was with her and he ate. And this is the part that we're getting to. This is where now they no longer have singular vision. Up to this point, they have been walking with the Lord in the cool of the evening, spending time with God, mano y mano, right there with him, fully beholding him. We can't comprehend that nowadays because no one in this fleshly body can see the Lord. The Lord told Moses that. Moses is like, show me your face. The Lord is like, you do that, you're gonna die. So I'm going to hide you behind a rock. I'm going to pass by and you'll see my back. That's about as much of him as we can take, according to scripture. And even then, I feel like I'd melt. And so they're trading this intimacy with the Lord for a piece of fruit because they, they saw that it was desirable to make one wise. It looked good to the eyes. But now in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That sounds very uncomfortable. But in verse seven, at the beginning of that, it says, then their eyes were opened. How were their eyes opened? Their eyes were opened to the point to where now they're not looking here, they're looking here. They're looking at themselves. All the story, all the way up to this point, they're beholding the Lord. They're walking with God. They're in fellowship with the Lord. And you're not hearing a mention of, yeah, but God, but, but what about, you know, like, I don't feel, I don't feel this. I don't do that. I'm not sure about, you don't hear any of that brought up. But now all of a sudden they eat the fruit and their eyes are opened and self-centeredness sets in. Now, 
they see that they're naked. And it goes a little bit later on in verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Same time. They always walked with God in the cool of the day. And here's the Lord. He's back. But something has drastically changed. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Not how are you? Where are you? The Lord knows where they are, but he also recognizes, I'm light. I'm made of light. And there's some darkness here. There used to be nothing but pure light when we would get together. What's changed? So he says, where are you? And Adam calls out and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Self-centeredness. I heard you and I was afraid. I was scared. And because I was naked, I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? So immediately they're progressing through this conversation with the Lord, pointing out their own inadequacies. They're pointing out their own mistakes, their own problems. How many times do we do that with the Lord? Lord, I've called you to this. Yeah, I can't do that. I'm struggling with this. I'm messing up with this. I don't think that. And the Lord's like, did I ask you about your problems? He didn't ask us for that. He asked for our obedience. He wasn't asking Adam, how's it feel to be naked? Why? Because that's normal to the Lord. I was praying this just this morning. It hit me last night, and then I've been praying it last night into this morning, and it's, Father, may your reality be my mentality. I want to think like the, the world that the Lord lives from, which is whenever I see the sick, like what Pastor Ron was saying, when I see the sick, I can't help it. I have to pray for them. When I see people who are oppressed, I can't help it. I have to go and minister to them. I have to go and give them the life that's on the inside of me. But you can't do that when you're focused on you. The Lord didn't have a problem with Adam and Eve in their current state. What he had a problem with was now all of a sudden in their relationship, they're withholding information from the Lord. Now all of a sudden, they're wanting to keep God at an arm's length. Now all of a sudden, the intimacy that was there before is gone. That's what broke the heart of the Lord. Not so much the fact that they ate the fruit. Yeah, that's pretty terrible in and of itself. But what I feel like really hurt the Lord was the fact that now they no longer wanted to walk with God in the cool of the day. They no longer wanted to just be with God because now their eyes were open to their own fault. We just messed up. And in the first time in human history, now sin has entered into the world and they're the first ones to ever taste of it. Can you imagine such hopelessness? We just messed everything up. But the Lord is saying, who told you you were naked? The Lord's saying, I have not been confessing that over you. I haven't been saying, oh boy, when I create them, I really hope they don't look at themselves and go, whoa, who created us naked? No, the Lord's like, this is normal. I created you in this way, but now because of your mindset, now because of what you've given yourself over to, now we've got to make some changes. And the Lord in his mercy 
spilled blood of animals and he clothed them in animal skins. So we're already seeing here, there's a parallel here that I want us to see and I'm gonna close with this. They messed up. God sheds blood of animals and covers Adam and Eve. You see where I'm going? He clothed them with animal skins. Blood had to be spilt. And so now he covers them in his love with animal skins. Many, 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 many years later, we see mankind who has messed up, who has gone their own way. They're walking around daily with darkness in their eyes because they're looking at things and they're saying, I want that, I desire that, that is my true reality. And they're feasting on the things that the Lord never created them to feast on. And they're seeing themselves the way that the Lord never meant for us to see ourselves. Can you imagine how much that breaks the Lord's heart when He fashions you with such intention, with such love, that He did not quickly fashion you to get you off the assembly line. No, but he was so intentional with every last facet of your being. There's a reason why your hair is that way. It's because he created it that way. There's a reason why your face looks like that. There's a reason why your face is unique like that. It's because the Lord saw it and was like, this is who I've called into the world. This is my son. This is my daughter. And then you go and try to change it? The Lord paid for more than that. But just as he spilled blood to clothe Adam and Eve, thousands and thousands of years later, Jesus is walking the earth. And he's seeing the mistakes of men and women daily that are seeking for truth. Pilate himself asked Jesus when they were face to face. And Jesus said, all those who listen to the truth, listen to me. And Pilate asked him this question, what is truth? You remember that? And if you remember, Jesus didn't answer because Pilate was looking into the eyes of truth personified. And a few hours later, little do we know that the one who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, everything, would spill every drop of his blood. The very people that flocked to see him heal the sick flocked to see him whipped and beaten and bruised. The same people that wanted him to perform a miracle for them were now mocking him as he carried his cross down the Via Della Rosa. But did it change his mind with what he was doing? Not one bit. If anything, he was probably thinking, I need to do it all the more. And you see, he spilled his blood. He hung on a cross for six hours so that you and I could be clothed in his blood that has washed us white as snow. It's like we never messed up in the first place. Adam and Eve never had that chance. They thought they could try and, try and juke out the Lord. 
and we'll just try it. Maybe you won't notice. Just as I started with, they didn't get that chance. But you and I, we get this chance. It's because Jesus poured out everything. Yeah, are there days where we crucify him on the cross again and again and again? Yeah. But his blood is sufficient. And he's calling us to this one thing. Look at me. Just look at me. Life is hard. You feel like life really sucks right now. The Lord's saying, look at me. Look at me. You feel like your family's falling apart. You feel like everyone is against you. You feel like you have no one. Jesus says, look at me. I am hanging on a cross because you are enough. This is the gospel. The gospel is not according to how worthy you think you are. You could spill every drop of your own blood and guess what? If you don't do it in love, it means nothing. You can give your life to Jesus. You can go preach to the nations. You can see healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. But when you haven't stopped to behold him, all is vanity. All is vanity. He spilled his blood for this purpose, so that our eye would be single, our whole body would be full of light, which is the life of Jesus. There's a reason why he's called the resurrection and the life. He doesn't only raise you, but he sustains you. He raises you, brings you from death to life. And then he says, go sin no more. Be my representative, be my ambassador. When you leave this place, you have a mark on your forehead. And it says, I am a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am his ambassador. I am his representative. How you act out there will set the standard for what people think our king is like. How are we going to act? How are we going to live? We have to recognize how much it cost God to get us. I know I've been talking a lot, but I think it's so important that we can't leave this place and misrepresent the one that we were called to proclaim. Far from me, I love what Todd White says, that I never want to find myself in that day when the Lord talks about the sheep and the goats, those who gave everything to Jesus and those who lived in duplicity, walking and passing the line of people. And I have people looking at me saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you try and tell me I was being dumb? Maybe why, why didn't you try and tell me things that I needed to hear? Far be it from me that any of us in this room would ever have to succumb to that. But when we, mis when we misrepresent Jesus, and how do you misrepresent him? You stop looking at him. I'm always kind of wearisome about people who have a lot of like spiritual talk, but you don't hear any scripture coming out of their mouths. You know, to where they're like, man, I was talking to the Lord the other day, and while like, he was telling me this, bro, and man, I was like, that's so good. You know, like, and at first it's like, awesome, bro. I'm so glad the Lord's talking to you, you know? But it's like months and months and months to where it's like, man, the Lord was just talking to me the other day. And I'm like, okay, do you read this? Do you read this? Because the Lord will never tell you something that goes against this. And yeah, it may sound good, but so many people are like, I want to hear God. I want to hear God. I, ha I can't hear the Lord. You know why? 
It's because you're trying to hear him here and not hear him here. You have to steward his known voice before you can hear his unknown voice. This is intimacy talk. That would be kind of weird if you just saw someone out in public and you went up to them to hear their deepest, darkest secrets. I mean, the Lord has like his best and brightest secrets, but you know what I'm saying? We can't go straight there. Why? The individual is going to be like, whoa, bro, like get to know me a second. Like, want to hear at least my story? Like, how did I get here? Then why do we treat the Lord that way? We give him our lives and we say, I'll give you everything, Jesus. But then what we do is we proceed throughout our life trying to hear God, trying to hear his voice aside from his word. You're trying to be intimate with the Lord, but the Lord's saying, I can't trust you with my voice here until I see you value my voice here. So I'm getting off on some things, but it just comes down to this simple reality. We were called to look at one. I love what Michael Culliano said one time, or it was actually Michael Miller, that upper room. And some people were saying, you worship too long. And he asked him this question. I'm, he said, I was, it was Michael Culliano. He said, um, out of all the songs that we sang, did you hear any name of any of the people that come to our church sang in any of those songs? I didn't hear anybody say, praise be to James. I didn't hear anybody say, all hell, Ella. No, we sing to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're like, well, you sang too long. I'm sorry. We were singing to you? How many churches do that on a daily basis though? We got to select our set list. What are songs that people know? Did you know that for the intimate lovers of Jesus, there are songs that the Lord gives to them and only they can sing those songs because they're intimate with the Lord? We sing to him. We look at him. We behold him. Go ahead and stand. I'm not gonna apologize for my long-windedness. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Yeah, if you're here this morning, and some of what we were talking about, it comes back to three things. Adam and Eve, they struggled with three things. The, and, and 1 John chapter two really mentions this, and it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. She saw the fruit and that it looked good. The lust of the flesh. She saw that it was desirable. And then the pride of life is the acting out. And maybe you're here and you found yourself struggling in one of those three areas, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And maybe you've been stuck at the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, but you don't want it to progress so much that you're now walking in the pride of life. The Lord wants you completely cleansed and purified from all that. He doesn't for one second want us walking around thinking hell, trying to live heaven. 
And that's what the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes will do, is it'll keep you locked and bound in this box, thinking that you'll never get free, thinking that it's your spiritual inheritance, or that you're just one of the however many trillions of people I've lived on this earth throughout the years that just so happens to struggle with this, and you're gonna be the first one that God's gonna give up on. He's not. And so beholding him, that's the enemy of beholding the Lord, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so just in this attitude, can we all just close our eyes? Nobody looking around. The Lord is in his house, and he's the one that does the work. So Father, help me get out of the way.